from the Transport Workers Union Air Division offices in Colleyville, Texas. It's the TWU Air Division podcast with Strategic Action Coordinator Brian Parker. Join Brian as he discusses issues that affect the careers and lives of Air Division members. Take it away, Brian. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Transport Workers Union Air Division podcast. Joining me today is Air Division System Director Gary Peterson. I always struggle with your title. Air Division Director. Air Division Director. There we go. Okay. Welcome back, Gary. Thanks, Brian. I'm glad to be back. Glad to get an update going. Yeah. So uh, it's been probably about four weeks, three or four weeks since we put out our last podcast. The goal is to try to get one monthly. So here we are in August. This is the August update. Uh, We'll kind of do like we did last time. The agenda will be we'll just kind of run through what's going on in the Air Division. And we will start with the fleet service arbitration at American Airlines. Yeah, so the fleet arbitration at American is still, we're waiting on a decision from the arbitrator. We expect that any day now. And I would expect after this podcast gets released, probably in the next couple of weeks, something will come out in writing for everybody. Okay. And hopefully we landed a good place for that arbitration. You never know when you put things in a third party's hands. I don't know if it's fortunately or unfortunately where we had to go to get this work. So yeah. And this is obviously this case is about a scope issue. So it's, it's got a lot of tentacles tied to it and we'll, we'll see where we come out on that. Okay. Next, let's talk about the AMFA raid and uh, is there an update on that? Yeah, so as far as AMFA goes, we haven't really focused on that. We didn't last month because it was pretty wide open, but this month everything's in with the National Mediation Board. So the filings that were required, protests on the decisions coming out from where the board's opinion might be, or actually the administrator who's handling the case for the board, that's all been filed. Now we're just waiting on the board to render a decision, and we should have that in the next few weeks. Okay, thanks for that. Now let's move on to negotiations. We'll start with Southwest Flight Attendants. Yeah, well, and we got several negotiations, so we might as well hit hit on all of them. Um, the Southwest Flight Attendant negotiation has been ongoing. That continues. Hopefully, we'll start to see some traction now coming out of what looks like coming out of COVID, but maybe not. There's some back and forth on that, obviously, as everybody's aware of. And as far as the airlines go, you know, we'll talk about probably shortages here and, and, and the optics to that in just a little while, but I think that's also playing into all the negotiations. Before I move to the next one, how is it coming back into negotiations somewhat post-COVID? I mean, we're still in still in COVID. I mean, how's everything playing out with negotiations? Yeah, the biggest thing is getting back to face-to-face negotiations. Not being virtual is, is probably the key component. Whether anybody agrees or disagrees, any negotiations when you're doing it virtually is it's difficult at best. Uh, meeting face-to-face is a completely different opportunity to get things resolved, and we've been doing that, which is good. I'm glad to be back at the table with all the different carriers. Obviously, I'm not a negotiator, but it would seem to me that since there's such trouble with the airlines getting staffing, that we do have more leverage than maybe I would have thought of coming you know, to be where we're at today. Yeah, I think, I think from a leverage standpoint, again, it's always moving. So while the shortage of folks that we've been experiencing in the summertime is, is hitting a, across the board. And, and I know we'll, we'll hit on that deeper here in a minute. At least I hope we will. The fact of the matter is that coming out of summer, we just don't know where things are going to go as far as COVID. And, and obviously we're starting to see some uptick in that again. So again, the industry, it moves pretty quickly. We all know that. And you know my preference is to negotiate as much as we can right now face-to-face if we do get put in a situation where we're we're back to doing any type of virtual stuff. Makes sense. We talked about flight attendants at Southwest. Let's talk about ramp agents Southwest. Yeah, and ramp ramps just getting started for their fleet folks. 
Andre's handling that, obviously, for the international side, and Tom McDaniel handles the uh, flight attendants for us. But they're just getting started. It, it sounds like they're off to a pretty good start from, from the reports that I'm getting. Again, I wouldn't expect anything happening overnight. That's a pretty cumbersome contract that those guys are going to have to work through. Okay, let's go to Coletta Air next. Yeah, Coletta, I was just in Detroit with Jose Galarza for Coletta's negotiations. That is moving along. That's a dispatch negotiations. First contract moving along pretty good. Hopefully we'll we'll be getting that buttoned up here in the not too distant future. Again, when you when you start getting towards the end, you, you hope things get done faster and sometimes they slow down because that's usually when you're in the economic fight. Right, right. What about JetBlue, the flight attendants? JetBlue flight attendants, we're back in. We've been going at it with obviously that negotiations since the beginning of the year after the failed TA. That was probably right at the tail end of what was pre-vaccine. So we're back at the table with them. We'll be there next couple of weeks, and hopefully we'll start to see some really rapid progress there. You never know, like anything else, things come together in in odd ways. I'm cautiously optimistic that hopefully we'll have something soon at JetBlue. Yeah, I hope so. We've got a couple of groups at Envoy. First, the maintenance group. Yeah, again, maintenance at Envoy just got started. They've been in a few sessions. That seems to be going well. Again, with the mechanic group, no different than Americans. It'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. That's That, again, is a fairly new negotiation. So the pace has been going good from everything I've seen and, and talked to our group with. Again, you never know when things are going to get going at what speed, but my hope is we can get through these things sooner than later. Okay, and uh, Envoy Fleet, I believe that one's been open for a while. Yeah, Envoy Fleet's been a huge challenge for us, and, and hopefully we're getting down to the tail end of that. I, I believe we're at a place where we need to, so to speak, fish or cut bait when it comes to getting uh, an agreement put forward. Or, again, the issue that we're having is obviously at the board, they're still in that transitional phase and how long until that actually you know plays itself out. So. That's one that I hope to get something put together on and, and maybe get in front of the membership and you know let them decide if, if we can get there. If not, again, this is just one that to me feels like it's lingering, and I, I prefer that the membership has an opportunity to see what might be available to them because it's gone on so long. And then from there, we'll go forward. Okay. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe you got a TA uh, for the dispatchers at Republic. Yeah, Republic is in the process right now of finalizing the the language on the TA. I don't know that it's been put out in full to the membership yet, but um, we did reach a TA. We're not me, but we, the group, are are checking everything, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, and that should be going out to the membership any day now, and hopefully that'll ratify. It's a pretty good deal across the board comparative to, to the others, just based on the fact that they're in Indianapolis makes it a little bit different than, say, if you're on the West Coast in Seattle. Right, and I purposely saved this last airline in regards to negotiation. We're going to segue this off into another conversation aside from negotiations, but what about Spirit, negotiations at Spirit? Yeah, Spirit, the agents, that has been another one that's been a challenge. I think we were in the infancy, I guess, would be of a first contract negotiating it and, and moving into COVID. That really threw us back. Obviously, we're back at the table with them. Hopefully, we can get some momentum going on that group. And again. My goal would be to get something done sooner than later, but the other side of that is we definitely don't want to just put something in front of the membership to get a contract done. We want it to be a, a solid vote on a contract, obviously another first-time agreement, so those are always the hardest because you're going from nothing 
or being an at-will employee um, to something that has teeth to it. And that's always the hardest part for me is to get that across to the membership. You know, the optics are always, people look at, you know, pay rates in every contract, especially, but in the first contract, you got to look at the meat of what's in the contract, just cause for discipline, which doesn't exist in the, in the world of, you know, not having a contract in front of you. Work rules that can be changed at any time that are now contractual and embedded into the agreement that the company's got to follow and things like that. So I think first contracts, it's critical. We take the time to explain the contract. I think that was one of our biggest difficulties with the JetBlue agreement and the timing of it during COVID as we weren't able to get that message across and really spend time with people answering their questions face-to-face. So hopefully we can get there with all these new agreements that we're coming up against. Okay, and to clarify, for those that don't know, Spirit is the gate agents at Spirit. Right, it's a, it, and they're specifically in Fort Lauderdale. The rest of the system's contracted out, so that's one that is unique in and of itself. It's, it's for Fort Lauderdale, and as they expand, we would have representation in their other cities. Okay, so that's the negotiations update for the Air Division. Staying on Spirit, what the hell's going on with Spirit? Well, um, I had a conversation with some of their leadership. Obviously, you know, it, it's a system-wide issue at Spirit American and obviously is having some of the, well, having a lot of the similar problems. And that goes back to staffing. And, and I, again, I think the flight schedule that was put in for most of the carriers for the summer was super, super aggressive and a little different at Spirit because they're more of a ultra low cost carrier trying to make their connectivity. Once they have that ripple effect, they had planes in maintenance, those types of things, it falls off a ledge real quick. They don't have a lot of spare equipment. And that's what happened at Spirit. And then the recovery, because the load factors are so high with passengers, where do you put the people? And then the other airlines are full, so you don't have anybody to, anywhere to transfer them to. So Spirit just, you know, it was a, I hate the term perfect storm for them, but they hit that perfect storm. And this isn't the first time it's happened though. And Spirit really tried to do a good job of recovering from their past problems that they had. This just hit them right across the head and hopefully they'll figure a way back out of it. But again, they have to manage the business. What I don't like, and I think is most important is, is when, you know, we have to, we have to represent the group to make sure passengers understand they're doing everything they can to take care of them. And it's not something that they can change. It's not a decision they're making. It's not something they have any control over. And that is a group that similar to the flight attendant groups is really in the front line of, of being abused and harassed. And in some cases, physical altercations happen. And that's what probably bothers me the most is the protection to make sure we're, we're getting everybody that's in that, that either flight attendant group or the um, gate agent group, so to speak, front line with the passenger protection. Yeah, I know it's a, a larger issue than just spirit, obviously, with passenger misconduct. I know the international has been very vocal on that and putting things out. I've been on the hill talking about it. Obviously, it's all over the news. Uh, it's a real problem. It's a real, real problem. Yeah, and I think, again, our, our view on that is um, start the enforcement, make it a system type of enforcement. You know, different locations have, are doing different types of penalties. Me personally, I'd like to see where the airlines come out and speak to it themselves and say, hey, we're just not going to let you fly on our airline. In fact, we have an agreement with all these other carriers. If you do this on our carrier, you're not going to fly on any carrier. It's not a no-fly list, but it's, it's the airlines making a decision. They're not going to tolerate that behavior on the airplanes. And I think that's, that's where the message is missing. The unions can do it. You know, we've come out strong on this. But we really need the airlines to start making sure that the passengers are in check and they understand there's a consequence for what they do on board. 
or even at the gate. Right. There's a reason that I've spent 30 plus years and not, uh, you know, direct contact with the pastors. I'm just not cut from that cloth. No, it takes a really, it takes a special kind of person to put up with, with what those folks do. And, and most of us that aren't in the frontline passenger service side are probably in our best spot not being there. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I hold them in high regard because uh, the work they do is, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's probably goes unnoticed a lot of times, but they do great work. And, you know, hopefully we can get past this and, you know, and, and get some protections in place for them. Yeah. And I, I would just say this, Brian, you know, the pilots are, are their own unique group and everybody notices them. The flight attendants, the gate agents, they're the face of the airlines, whether anybody likes it or not. That's really who the customer interacts with the vast majority of time. And when the airlines fail them, they failed the customer and, you know, they failed their own workforce and they failed the customer both. So that's where the airline leadership at multiple carriers, they need to figure that out. And, but the main thing is to say, we're just not going to tolerate this type of abuse for any of our workforce. And it doesn't matter what, you know, anybody that's, that's their employer, our member or worker under the carrier, no airline should allow that type of, of, of action to, to just be let go. And I wish they would band together and come out with a common statement on that. I agree. I think that would definitely help. So the two airlines that's been in the news the most would be Spirit and American. Let's transition into American. I could speak myself all day about what's going on with American, but I want to hear it from you. Yeah, American, their problem came back to putting a lot of airplanes back in service for the summer schedule. And then, you know, again, the early outs from all the groups, replacing the 30-year-plus employees or 25-plus-year employees, our workforce, with new hires and things like that. It's it's that knowledge that you carry with you learning over the years that that's really slowing everything down. Plus, on the backside, even with hiring anywhere right now, you still have the government side of it. Uh, they're not doing badging and, and background checks as quickly. So, again, I hate the term perfect storm, but this is something that a lot of us kind of put our hand up and said, hey, we're nervous about this. I know APA spoke out on it. I've definitely spoke out on it. I'm not afraid to you know, question that. Organizationally, we've done that. And what it comes down to is it's great if the plan works out, but if you start handicapped from the beginning, so to speak, with not enough people and, again, communication between departments, somebody should put their hand up and say, hey, you know, specifically in this case, flight should have been first, and they probably were, but I don't know if it fell on deaf ears or what, saying, we're short. I know APA did. I know we said, hey, we've got stations where we don't have the staffing. DFW is obviously huge where you guys were bringing folks in, and they may understand the ramp because a lot of them came from Envoy over, but they don't understand the American operation that, that again, they're replacing somebody with 20 plus years. So 2021 using 2019 modeling because that's you know kind of where things wound up there's just not that same level of experience when you have somebody new trying to figure out where something goes in any doesn't matter if it's maintenance fleet stores you know our groups that we represent all those things kind of fall down when everybody's not working in harmony and again that's the key to have everything flowing and it takes time to get that flow back up to normal right and uh as far as staffing, obviously it is a problem at American, and I, you mentioned DFW, which is, you know, the mothership, and it is a big problem. We also had a lot of operational issues at the mothership. I do believe that senior leadership at American has recognized some of that. They are migrating back towards what we've been telling them they need to be. They're probably never going to get to where we think they should be, but hopefully they, you know, can, we can find that mix to where our members are protected and not abused, so to speak, and the airline runs more efficiently. 
Yeah. And again, it's not just a DFW issue. I, I look at the system for all work groups and I follow that pretty closely. Um, and I'll, I'll just say on the fleet side specifically, you know, they've been trying to hire in a lot of locations. But again, getting people through and getting them going is different than having somebody that's been working there, let's say five years, showing up, badging in and going to work. There's just, it, it doesn't flow at the same rate it, and it takes time to learn that. Maintenance, obviously, they brought a lot of folks into maintenance. Same thing. You can't replace, and it's not anything against the newer mechanics. You just can't take that experience and expect somebody walking in the door to know all the, the, the things that those of us who've been here a long time know. And, and just that's the problem, I think, that we're up against. It's not like, you know, that anybody could, could have seen the way this was going to play out. But I think everybody kind of put their hand up and knew we were going to be backs against the wall. Where I'm frustrated personally is all the amount of the man we don't have it in maintenance, but the mandatory overtime I've seen in other groups that we do represent across the board, not just at American, but across the board in all the contracts where all the airlines are struggling. And their answer is, well, where we can, to your word, abuse and use this mandatory type of system, they're doing it and, it, and it's off the charts. And, and that creates a different aspect for me, which is the question on how safe are we actually industry-wide, how safe are we at that point? Granted, we didn't have any incidents that I'm aware of or accidents, that type of stuff, which is great, but we're always just, you know, moments away from that happening. And when it happens, everybody then rolls back and says, well, what happened? This is one we're getting lucky on, and I don't like to be lucky. I like to be good when we do things. Yeah. And you mentioned something, again, going back to staffing, and I'm glad you brought up maintenance. You know, it's more than just the pilot that flies the plane or the agent that maybe loads it or, you know, uh, gets the passengers on and off. Maintenance is a big part. And the trend has been in the past few years is to go lean with the airline with staffing. You know, this is, I'm talking pre-COVID, scale back mechanics. We used to have mechanics that were proactive and doing walk-arounds. They met the airplanes. They would catch maintenance issues and things like that. Our facilities, we always had more people in facility maintenance. The, the equipment, they scaled back stocking parts and they didn't have people, you know, available for things like that. So hopefully it's a lesson learned for the airlines that they do have to have some more staff in place. And I always say it's kind of the fireman mentality. If you don't have someone sitting there waiting and ready to go and take care of an issue, you know, maybe a one-off or whatever, you're going to fail. And they've been failing miserably for the past few years. Yeah. And uh, again, not to beat up on any particular carrier, but across the board, I would say that everybody's following this philosophy of how lean can we go? And there's a consequence for that. You know, on a, on a sunshiny day and everything's perfect, um, it works. In the airline industry, it's never a sunshiny day across the whole network. It doesn't matter what carrier it is. And so everybody competes against everybody. And, and what I, and, and this is a bad thing to say, but what I've seen over the years I've been around is that all the airlines try to follow whoever goes the leanest and the ultra low cost carriers, when they go, you know, they start lean and then ultimately they turn into more of a national carrier. And then you turn into the, the big kind of four that are out there today. The big four need to do it differently than the nationals. The nationals need to do it differently than the ultra low cost, but they try to look at one another and say, well, who's doing this and, and who's doing that? And again, it's, it's, it's just different fields of play that you have to look at it on. But I guess, you know, again, frustrating for me is the easiest way sometimes for management to manage the business is to look at somebody else and see what they're doing and say, well, let's just try what they're doing. There's a reason that they're doing it. And there's a reason we probably haven't done it. And, you know, so to speak, or we've tried it probably multiple times with different leadership at the carriers. And they, they do, they, 
backslide into what works best by trying something to see if it works. And usually we've, those of us who've been around are shaking our heads saying, this is a bad idea. It's a bad, uh, oh, right. oh, look, they, they did it again. And um, that's the part where, you know, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to try to solve their problems anymore. I'll, you know, you guys do a great job. I, I try to say, but when folks haven't been around as long as we have, you know, they want to learn the hard way, I guess is the answer. Well, then they learn the hard way. And then they generally come back and say, you know, maybe we should have listened to you guys. What do you think about this idea? Yeah, that's what we were saying, you know, four or five months ago. And it sounds like a really good idea. Let's go back to where we were. Yeah, they always go back to what works. And it's kind of funny. You know, if you build a paper airline, it all looks great. You don't have delays. You don't have cancellations in a paper airline. It looks great. You'll make, you know, billions of dollars. But uh, real world, things don't work so great. Nope. Every day is a challenge and it doesn't matter. And, and again, there's a few locations specifically that if they have a challenge, it's a ripple effect across every, every airline system. They know those and, and you hear, I, at least I do, I hear there's, you know, from different carriers, the focus is going to be on this or on that location or this group of people. And again, you got to focus on the whole entity because no matter what, there might be a ripple effect in, in the big hubs. Um, using that business model, but downlines still create different delays and create a different set of systemic problems that you got to deal with. Okay. That's all I have, Gary. Is there anything else you have or want to talk about before we go? No, just the fact that I appreciate you getting together and, and uh, doing this again. You know, we're going to try and stay on track monthly and I'm committed to doing that and keeping everybody updated. And then as, as things come up and, and if there's uh, something that peaks that we need to do a special podcast on, then we'll do that. I'd, I'd like to get others back involved in doing more of the podcasts rather than just being me. So hopefully we can do that going forward. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, Brian. All right. Thanks, Gary. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. Everyone have a great day. For more information about the TWU Air Division, visit our website at TWU.org forward slash divisions. To comment on this or any of our podcasts, email us at airdivisionpodcast at TWU.org. You can listen, download, and stream episodes of our Air Division podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, your favorite Android podcatcher, or your RSS feed-enabled browser. Air Division podcast episodes are also available to stream and download from our website, podcast.twu.org. Music provided under license by Pond5.com. TWU Air Division podcast is produced and engineered by Tommy Engel. 